0: Amen. Um, you can go ahead and be turning to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to do verses 5 through 9. I um, wanted to talk quickly about um, Brother Kelby's application points from last week. That is something that has really stuck with me over this week, and I pray that it ex- actually sticks with me through this, this, uh, this sermon that we would uh, declare the gospel and display the gospel. And I pray that I declare the gospel to you clearly this morning, display it before you, and that you would see Christ more clearly through this sermon and that your hearts would be changed and and turned towards him. Uh, Thomas Watson is my favorite Puritan. I like his writing because it's very easy to understand, and it's beautiful, it's lovely. It says, he said in, in one of his books on repentance, he said, Repentance is a grace of God's Spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. In today's text, John, in his first epistle, is bringing out some wonderful points on repentance. And I think we need to take a journey with him to his point, and I pray that it... uh, Affects our hearts, and it helps us to know a little bit more about repentance. You know, we use that word a lot, um, but we need to understand what it means. We need to understand how it affects us. What what in our lives is 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 meant to be done through repentance? And this text is going to help us, I think, to be very helpful in our daily walk and how we approach repentance in our own lives. Um. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. 1 John 1, verses 5 through 9. It says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, Father God, we thank you for your word. Bless the reading of it. Bless the hearers that they may understand all that you have to say. God, let what you have shown in this text make a difference in our hearts to conform us to the image of the Son, that we may be sanctified in your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, this is a powerful set of verses. And to me, there is a lot, a lot... biblical truth that we can unpack in this text. Um, So I want to break it down verse by verse. I love preaching verse by verse. That's what we do here, right? So I'm going to take this text and I'm going to preach it verse by verse because I think we need to grasp everything that's said. I love uh, uh, one preacher says to suck all the juice out of the fruit, right? Let's take this verse and let's suck all the juice out of it. Let's take all these verses and suck all the juice out of them so that we may be changed by them. Verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Notice the phrase. God is light. It doesn't say that He's a light. It doesn't even say that He is the light. It said that He is is light. Now, what's interesting about that is it, it, it says that, basically, will light exist if there is no God? Absolutely not, right? What did, he, what, was the, what did he say in the beginning? And I like to think about creation in that way. In the beginning, he said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, that's cool for us because we think, of, well, I flip on a light switch and boom, my light bulb brightens up. But think about this. Think about this. Ponder this in your mind. There was no such thing as light until he said it. It did not exist. There was nothing to compare it to. God said, let there be light, and boom, light. What an amazing thing. Now, Scripture uses light to represent several different things. Junior actually talked a little bit about this in in his reading. Light, for one thing, represents knowledge. Now, I actually heard a sermon on knowledge this morning. I listened to it as I was getting ready this morning. And it was amazing um, that knowledge is a grace and a gift of God, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who has said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So God illuminates and he gives knowledge to men as a grace, Right? Light also represents purity, Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. It can also represent prosperity, like good times, right? The things that God blesses us with as light. Isaiah 45.7 says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. So we see when we're blessed with things that's a light that God is shining upon us, right? That have you ever heard of his uh, his shining grace, his shining sovereignty, his shining providence, right? That when it's go- when it's going good that he's the one giving it and uh, but we also look at the other side of the coin, right? Sometimes it has to be dark and sometimes we have to go through things but it's all a gift from God and a grace from Him. Happiness is represented by light, right? There are many who say, in Psalm 4, 6, 6 and 7, it says this, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So above all things, when the Lord shines upon our hearts, what joy we have, what happiness and peace we have in Him no matter our situation. And also the light represents truth. Psalm 43, 3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. What is the word of God described as? A light to our feet, a lamp to our path, right? We see the truth in his word, He gives us that truth, and it is a light to us to see that truth. Notice also, no darkness at all. The light that we have here on the earth is imperfect. Did you know that? It's imperfect. Why? Because I can right now look, coming through that door, and I see the light coming through the door, but I see a shadow beside it. In God, there is no darkness. It is all light in Him. There's nothing sinful in God at all, right? There is in us. We may look at His wrath, anger, and vengeance. And to us, because of we have these finite minds, we may look at those things and we may say, whew, that was dark. We see things that people may go through. We see things happening in our world and we think, man, it's a dark time. But what we need to understand is that God has no darkness, God has no sinfulness. The fact that many, many will spend eternity in hell can seem harsh and unfair to us. The Jehovah's Witnesses have recreated theology to show. That there is no hell because they think it's kind of scary and dark and and it's not fair. Guess what? Justice is absolutely fair and our God is just. And in Him there is no darkness. He is all light. So guess what? Even His wrath is good. And where do we see the most beautiful, good display of God's wrath ever? 2,000 years ago on a cross, when Jesus bore it for us. Now, let's go on to verse 6. It says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Notice the interesting phrasing here. If we say we have fellowship with Him. That word say is put in there on purpose. This statement is for those who profess a relationship with Christ. Brother Kelby, a few weeks ago, talked about easy believism that all you got to do is say you believe and you're in. There are many who say that. But, according to what we hold as the truth, the light of God shining upon it says that there's only one way to come to fellowship with God, there's only one way to be in. And no one can come through God except by a very specific way. Through Christ. That's how we have fellowship with God. We can say we've got it all day long. But if we aren't in Christ, we ain't got it. You can proclaim from the rooftops that you're in Christ and not be. You must be born again. Jesus Christ himself said, you must be born again. So basically the phrase is, to say we have fellowship with him is basically to say, if you claim to be in Christ, and how do we proclaim that? Now, it's no longer politically correct to proclaim it this way. So y'all hold on to your seats. Are you ready? I am a Christian. To proclaim that is to get ready, right? (laughs) To get ready. I am a Christian. Christian is an interesting word. It was used as an insult, but we've taken it as our badge of honor to be in him, to take on the name of Christ. That statement is coming out of less and less people's mouths. And it's even happening in, a ch- in the church, and it's got some kind of stigma upon it. I don't know why, but it does. It says, because we often hear this. How many of y'all heard this one? I am spiritual. Cool. What does that mean, right? I, I, you, if you're in Christ, you are a Christian. I am a Christian, and I am proclaiming his name, and I best not take it in vain. But if we take that name, if we proclaim that we are, while walking in darkness, first of all, let's be clear about darkness. What is it? Charles Haddon Spurgeon made a great point on this in his commentary on this. He said, this is not darkness of sorrow or darkness of doubts and fears. Now, that's, we all go through those times, right? When it feels dark around us because we're struggling. We're going to struggle. Christ said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world, right? He's, t- he's being very clear. There's going to be times that seem dark around you. It's tough. There's, t- there's difficult times. And those are times that, according to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Christians will face. But he's very clear about what it is. Listen to what he says. This is talking about the great darkness. What's the great darkness? Sin. So John is really digging into his main points with a great distinction. He's making a great distinction for us. He says, if you say that you are a Christian while you're having fellowship with sin, that's a big prepositional statement that we need to understand. Proclaiming Christ, yet living in sin. Loving sin. fellowshipping with sin and because he's made it his prepositional statement to begin this way everything else he's going to say after this hinges upon this so what does john say is true of you if that's what you if you're a say you're a christian and have fellowship with sin what does he say is true number 1 he says you're a liar you're a liar which means what you're not a christian if you're a Christian and you have fellowship with sin, guess what? You're not a Christian. He also says that you don't even live in the truth. And here's where some would ask. I love my class on Sunday in Sunday school because this is one of the things we're approaching very head on. We're approaching the fact that there is such a thing as objective truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is not relative. Nobody has their own truth. When you say... Something like John says here, says you don't live in the truth. Some would say, what is truth? Some would say it's, like I said, relative. It depends on the person. What's their truth? What's your truth? What's my truth? Some say it's subjective. Depending on the subject, right? What, what, uh, I don't know. How would we approach truth about this subject? How would we approach truth about this subject? Some would say that there is no such thing as the truth. Welcome to 21st century America, right? That there's no such thing as truth. And many have started saying this interesting phrase that I've never seen in Scripture. Live your truth. I think I'm going to take Christ's definition of truth above all others, myself. John 17, 17. If you're in my D group, if you're in my Sunday school class, if you've known me for any amount of time, John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So John is saying that those who live in sin and proclaim Christ are turning from God's word and rejecting its authority over them. Romans 6, 1 through 4 makes it clear. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Do you know, why, you know why Paul gives these questions? Because he's been asked these questions and he's got to answer them. These epistles weren't just written willy-nilly. He's writing to specific groups of people who are asking specific questions and he's giving them specific answers. He says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? What does he say? By no means. Absolutely not. Or if he was, say, somebody's dad, he would say, you better not. Right? Right? How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might, we too might walk in newness of life. Not in death. Not in sin. Not letting sin abound in our lives so that the grace can abound. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And you know it is too. And Paul's having to answer this. Is that not amazing? Let's go to verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We walk in the light as He is in the light. Let's establish that we will not And cannot do this perfectly on earth. Have you been listening to my children's sermons the past few weeks? I want our kids to know about what sin is. I want us to know about what sin is. And I want us to understand that it is not a foe that we conquer ourselves. The law is impossible for us to complete. But Jesus did. And we need to trust in him, right? We will not be perfect on this earth, period. We will never walk exactly like Christ. We do, however, through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, sanctifying us, we strive to be like Him. We want to. We desire it. We do the things that He loves and hate the things that He hates, right? But we'll never do it perfectly until... We see Him face to face and we're glorified. What this is saying that as we walk in light as He is in the light, we've got to walk in kind of the same manner as Christ. Not do exactly what He did and do it the exact way He did it. Because we can't. John 6, 38 talks about how Jesus walked. John 6, 38 says, I have come down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. To do God's will. Now, many, many people live their entire life saying, man, I just wish I knew God's will for my life. And I always want to say an answer. Open the Bible. Open the word of God. You want to see the will of God displayed? There it is. The word of God. What is God's will for us? That we would be in him, that we would rely on him, that we would trust in him. Secondly, another way that Jesus walked in Matthew 5.17 is he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come, I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus walked in a way to fulfill the law and prophets. Now, we can't do that. We're not the prophetic son of God, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, walking this earth. So what does that mean for us? That we live to serve God and we love his word. That we trust in him for every moment of our lives, that it's all of God for all of our lives. That's what God's desire is for the goal for our lives. Whether you're a basketball coach at a college Whether you're a school teacher, whether you're retired, or whether you're in elementary school, God's will for your life is simple. What God wants for you is to believe Him. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. Lean upon Christ. See Him more clearly. Love His Word. That's what God's will for your life is. If we walk in this way, there's some specific results too. We walk in a way that we walk as Christ walked. We have fellowship with one another. We talked this morning about essential doctrines of the church, non-essential doctrines of the church, and tertiary doctrines of the church. And it was a fun discussion. I enjoyed it thoroughly. The key point is this. We are a part of a universal brotherhood of those who are in Christ, both Jew and Gentile, as Paul would say. The church, His bride, that is something that is greatly to be desired, to be a part of His church, to be a part of His bride, to be in Him. And that is why church membership is only for those who are in Christ. Those not in Christ have no place in our fellowship and honestly would they belong no they don't believe what we believe that's hard and unpopular to a lot of folks and the mega churches have made millions saying the opposite of it but that's not true we are a church that has one thing in common we're in christ the church is his sheep. And sharing the gospel is to change hearts and call to repentance. And that being said, those who have repented and trusted in Christ are in Christ and should be part of the fellowship of a local church. You know what we wrote under essentials? Church membership. Belonging to a church is an essential. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's another great thing. This is not saying that a holy life is a requirement for God's blood, for Christ's blood to work and cleanse us. Doesn't mean we clean ourselves up and then Christ's blood works for us. It's saying that those who are truly cleansed by His blood will live that way. We'll, we'll be cleansed as if we are in Christ. The kind of proof of Christ's work in the life of a believer. This that's what it is. It's, that we seek to, to live a life where we turn to him in all things. That we repent of our sin and we reject it. Sinfulness in our lives. Now many are going to reject this way of life. And they don't think that daily repentance is necessary for a believer. I personally do because I see in my life that I need it. 100% I need it. Now we talked this morning about repentance. And repentance looks different in everybody's life. Some people add it to their prayers, their daily prayers, a prayer of repentance, and that's wonderful. Some people make it a special prayer. Some people, upon that particular sin, stop right there, and that is their repentance. They repent immediately, right? It looks different for all of us, but repentance is something that we all need. We all need to do that. So, verse 8 says, If we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So if we say we have no sin... First, let's look at the context of who John's talking to, okay? What's his audience? Who is he writing to? Y'all ready for this? He addresses his audience as my little children in this epistle. It implies that these are people who he taught the Word of God to. He took responsibility for them. They were his, they were his he, he called them his little children. He cared so much about them that he called them his little kids, so he's talking to Christians here, right? People who he taught the word. It wasn't to people who aren't in Christ, it's to people who are in Christ, and it becomes even more clear throughout the rest of the book, actually. In light of this, we need to address some false teachings here. As an elder of the church, guess what? One of my jobs address the false teachings. False teaching number one. And I know some of us, thank goodness, I love being in this church because I'll talk about some of these false teachings and people afterwards will say, I have never heard that before in my life. And I'm like, thank goodness you haven't because I've dealt with it my whole Christian life dealing with these, these things. The first is sinless perfectionism. I know of a, a very popular YouTube preacher who says that he hasn't sinned in 14 years since he got saved. Hadn't sinned once. Wow. Some believe that they have achieved a level of sanctification so high that they never sin. Many Charismatics and New Apostolic Reformation people believe that and teach that. I think I can answer this very clearly. That's not true. Period. Not true. Some of the greatest saints I know, some of the most wonderful people who have been serving God the longest will be the first to tell you that they must repent of sin. And you know what? I trust those people. Not some guy with dreadlocks who thinks he can lengthen people's legs. The next is something that I named, because there is no name for it that I know of, sin rejectionism. Get ready for this one. Because I was under a pastor who taught this. Some believe that there is no need for repentance in the believer because they are saved. They think God overlooks their sin because of His grace. And they think that grace means that we don't consider anything we do sin. And therefore we don't sin and never need to repent. These are false teachings. These are lies. And what do these false teachings and lies do? Where do they lead us? You tell people over and over again, oh, you're not sinning. You're not a sinner. You understand? And what happens when the Holy Spirit is convicting them and they're being told they're not sinning or they can reach a level of, of, of sinless perfectionism? What happens? Hopelessness. Well, if I can reach this, then why can't I? I give up. We don't want to leave people hopeless. For me to tell you that you're going to sin the rest of your life is not a hopeless thing. It's a hopeful thing because that means for the rest of my life, guess who I'm going to depend on? Jesus Christ and Him crucified, knowing that the gospel is real and it's true and it's going to lead me to Him. Now, apparently these things have been in the church since the beginning because they keep on having to address them. John addressed it. Paul addressed it. It says... In the rest of the verse, that we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Basically, if you say you don't sin and therefore have no need of repentance, you're an unbiblical liar. That's what it's saying. So let's just address it truthfully. Why would we want to avoid why would we want to avoid daily repentance in our Christian walk? Why would we want to avoid any repentance in our lives? I would say pride is one of them. We don't think we're good. Therefore, or we think we're good and we don't need it. And I've been there. I'm not sinning all the time. Therefore, I don't need to repent. Early in my Christian walk, y'all would have not liked me at all. I had a count of how many days I'd been sin free. I mean, I was like the Pharisee of the Pharisees at 16, guys. Y'all would have just loved me. But our pride sometimes leads us to think, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I don't need to repent. Well, that's not true. Another thing is, is ignorance, and ignorance not in a negative way. Ignorance in not knowing, because we haven't been taught about repentance, and we don't under, really understand what's, what's the need for it. Some of us maybe don't even understand, okay, what's the difference between repentance and asking for forgiveness? Asking for forgiveness is part of repentance. Asking God, hey, forgive me and help me to turn from these things. Guess what you just did? You repented. Or misunderstanding. They may just think that I've asked for forgiveness one time, that covers all my sins. Well, it's good to us to confess our sins to God and, and to receive His mercy and His grace, right? I mean, that's what we, that's what we believe in our church, and that's what we should do. So is repentance a negative thing? No, it can't be. Otherwise, why would Christ be telling us to do these things? What's the first thing that Peter said to these men who were cut to the heart and said, what do we do? Repent and be baptized. That's that's not negative. That's positive. That's beautiful. So let's look at the next verse to affirm this. Look, it says in verse 9. This is where the road we've been traveling has got us to verse 9. Are you ready? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's look at the elements of this. The first is if we confess our sins. That's a key element to to our sinfulness, right, to our repentance, is to confess it, confession Uh, even the non-christian would tell you that confession is good for the soul right have you ever seen some of those documentaries where somebody was guilty and had been lying about it and then they come clean and they'll say something like i've been holding that way too long i feel such relief it's built into our nature listen to this repentance is is more than just asking forgiveness it's that we have sorrow for sin. We, we hate our sin. We turn from it. We turn towards God through Christ and confess particular sins. Because Lord, forgive me isn't just a magic set of words that, that just instantly make us feel better. It's, Lord, forgive me for my being too angry at my children. Y'all want to know what I repent of a lot? Getting too angry at my children and i pray that and i pray all the time god just help me to turn from that help me to redirect better help me to be a better father it can seem scary or hard or embarrassing but it isn't here's why you want to know why it's not embarrassing because i'm not going to walk into a booth and tell it to some guy who's then going to ask god if it's okay and then tell me i'm forgiven no I'm walking up to the one who's already borne this sin upon the cross. And I'm saying, God, I need your help with this. Help me, forgive me. And guess what? He is faithful and just. What is he faithful and just to do? Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, in forgiving our sins, he shows us that he has taken the sin debt and he satisfied it completely on the cross and our sin is forgiven because Christ took our sin and took the punishment for our sin. And it's absolutely more than we could think of as forgiveness because it sets us free from a debt. You want to how would you how would you respond if somebody came up to you and said, "Hey, I just want to let you know the $245,000 that's left on your house mortgage, I paid it." What would you do? You'd cut a backflip. That's what I would do, right? You'd be so happy that, some, that this was taken care of, not by you, but by some guy. Multiply that infinitely to see that the sin debt that I owe, the hell that I deserve, was laid upon the, cro- the, cr- the cross of Christ. On his shoulders, he bore it, and now I am set free from that debt. That is way more than anything on this earth that it could ever be forgiven to me. It's more than a forgiveness, it's, it's a freedom that I can't explain. It's a, the gospel, that's why the gospel is good news, because how could we ever come up with anything better than this? There's nothing. Now, in cleansing us, he, he's washing us with the blood of Christ. So, what does this do to us? According to John Calvin, it renews and reforms us. Absolutely. Sin has so many negative effects on our heart as a Christian. And through repentance, God washes that heart clean. There's no guilty stain anymore, right? It makes us feel brand new. And those are some awesome effects. Because why does he, why does he do this? Why is he able to do this? Because he is faithful and he is just. God is faithful. He's faithful to his nature. He is a holy God. He's faithful to his covenant promise in Scripture, and he will do what he says he will do, and it will be accomplished. When he says, I will wash you white as snow, guess what he's going to do? He's going to wash you white as snow, period. And we see that faithfulness clearly in his promise to redeem us. In, In Jeremiah 31, 34, he says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God's just, and he does justice for us. How did he do justice? 2,000 years ago on a cross, that's how he did justice. Fairness says, I'm on that cross. Justice says, Jesus took the punishment. He took the wrath. So now when we repent, he forgives us and cleanses us because Christ took it. That's his justice. His justice don't look like our justice. Our justice would would kill us. If God did justice the way we did, all of us would be gone, wiped out. But God doesn't do justice like man does. God is holy, and he is other than us. And he punished Christ, and now he forgives us that debt. And I think we can clearly see the beauty and joy and repentance because of that. So how can we apply these truths that we've just learned? How can we apply these things in our hearts and in our lives and in our, in our devotion, right, in our, in our dailies? I think first is we can see this truth and we can view God as he is according to scripture. Our triune God is very specifically described in scripture right he's a good God by his very nature all he does is good because as God he defines what good is and to change him to fit our ideas of what we think is good and how we think he should act you know what that's called idolatry because if we define a different God he's not the God of the Bible we follow the God of the Bible We define him as he defines himself. Because what higher truth can we have? What higher knowledge can we have than what he has said about himself in Scripture? Secondly, I'm going to take Kendall back to the old Assembly of God days. Live in the Spirit. Now, for a charismatic, this means way different than what it means for us. Charismatics means that you talk gibberish, you dance around, you fall out. For us, it means this. We live in the light. We live a biblical life. We live a life of sanctification through the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. And we live a life that's immersed with His Word in here and outside of here, immersed in His Word. Thirdly, I think this is important. I'll add this every time to an application. Because is there individual applications? Yep, but there's also church applications. That we fellowship with one another. We need other believers. We need our church. We need our friendships. We need to be with like-minded believers, talking of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Loving each other, helping each other, lifting each other up when one's down. If we don't lift each other up, who's going to do it? Nobody. This world out here will chew us up and spit us out. But guess what? I am a part of a fellowship. I am a part of a group of believers that believes sound biblical doctrine and knows what the truth is. And because of that, I have assets that nobody ever sees. I have things in my toolbox that nobody else has. I have the wisdom of men like Brother Dale and Brother Ben. I have the help and friendship of people like Drew and Jacob and Junior. I have things that nobody else has out in that world, and because of that, I have a peace that passes understanding because that's what we give each other. We help each other with that. Fourthly, another way we can apply the great truth is don't deceive yourself. Look your sin in the face. Understand it. Know that perfection is not something you'll ever get on this earth. Understand that. Accept it. Why? Because it's going to constantly remind you of one thing. I have to have Christ. I need Christ. If I'm not going to be perfect myself, I need the perfect one to give me his righteousness. And the last application, I hope, is something that can help us all. It's helped me. Live a life of repentance. Repentance is not a bad thing. It does not go against God's grace. As Watson said, it is a grace. It's an act of cleansing for us and helps us to conform to Christ even more. It frees our hearts. And it's beautiful. Repentance is beautiful. Did you know there's no other religion on this earth that a repentant prayer changes anything for them it's all got to be accompanied by works of service and acts and doing this uh, meditation trying to reach nirvana right did all the good stuff I do outweigh all the bad stuff I did what a horrible way to live yet we Have a Savior who took all of our sin on his shoulders on the cross and died for us. And because of that, we can come to him and say, here's my sin. And he's like, I've already carried that. I forgive you, right? What a wonderful way to live. What a peaceful life we can live. In the midst of turmoil in our world, we can know who Jesus Christ is. And we can know that we are forgiven. Amen. Let's pray.